0: Would you please take the Word of God and turn with me to Exodus in chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18, as you turn there, this chapter mentions two events that took place during the wilderness wanderings as the children of Israel were coming to Mount Sinai. And in chapter 18, uh, the beginning of the chapter, we'll see that uh, uh, you find the return of Moses' wife and his two sons. And we say, well, where have they been? Well, we'll mention that during the message. Uh, But then we're also going to look at the second part of the chapter, and that is the advice from Jethro to Moses. Uh, Now, let me uh, say something here because we left chapter 17 and we uh, know that they um, came from the wilderness of sin and they came, they pitched in. Uh, Rephidim, and they're heading towards Sinai. Now, as we read this chapter, they are already at the Mount of God. But yet, when we get to chapter 19, it tells us and when they arrive in Sinai. And so, this portion here is a, is a parenthesis. It happened, this event happened while the children of Israel were at Mount Sinai. If you read later in the book of Numbers, chapter 10 and chapter 11, you find Jethro leaving. Uh, after they're leaving Mount Sinai, then Jethro leaves. And so this event here, uh, often we saw that in the book of Genesis, that uh, we uh, read about the life of Joseph, and then there's an interruption. And we see something that happened during that time period. Uh, It goes and shows us some insight into Judah and what happened in his life. And so this is much like that here in chapter 18. Uh, It's a parenthesis of what happened, mainly covering two events. As I mentioned, Uh, The return of Moses' wife and his two sons, and then uh, Jethro giving advice to his son-in-law Moses. Now as we will read here in just a moment, I do want to preface uh, some things. Uh, Because um, if you would read maybe uh, preachers, or if you've heard maybe message on this chapter, uh, some people will say, well, uh, this is uh, good advice from Jethro and uh, some people would say it's, it's bad advice from Jethro and you'll find that there's opinion on both ends that some think that Jethro had no business giving advice to Moses and some would say that no, no, it's, it's good advice, it's solid and, and you can identify some Bible principles throughout the Bible that would agree with what uh, Jethro is saying to Moses and I, uh, I really want to be careful and not really go to either side And what I mean by that is I'm not uh, trying to be a compromiser or find the middle ground, but I think sometimes we can be aware, and I think it's the case here for Exodus chapter 18, that what the advice that Jethro gave to Moses is good advice, but we have to ask ourselves this question, was it God's will? Is it good advice? Yes. Was it God's will? I think that maybe I will show you that no. Because as a matter of fact, what Jethro said is never done. God's going to step in and say in Numbers, you'll read in Numbers 11, he'll say, this is how what I want you to do. So what Jethro said is not going to be done. But God is going to intervene and says, this is how I want you to establish the leadership in Israel. And the point here that I want to make here is that it is possible at times for good advice to be given but ultimately, we have to ask ourselves, is that God's will? And I can think all, uh, uh, off the top of my head about a few examples. One of those, you remember when Jesus said that he was to be taken in the hands of sinners and, and crucified and, and so forth. And remember what Peter said, he took him by the army and says, this shall not be so. Now, is that good advice? Well, yeah, it comes from a friend who loved Jesus, who didn't want to see him die, but not God's will. Not God's will. And I think you find throughout the Bible there are times that uh, there may be some good advice, but it is not necessarily the will of God. And if we're not careful at times, we may hold to the good advice and decree it the will of God because it is good advice. And we have to be careful with that. Just because something is good advice, it does not mean that it is necessarily the will of God. So let's stand together as we begin to read God's Word, Exodus chapter 18. Uh, We're going to, uh, I know it's a lengthy portion, but read the chapter and we stand out of reverence for God and His Word. So notice with me Exodus 18 verse 1. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people... And that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, of which the name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien in a strange land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for for the God of my father said he was mine help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses into the wilderness where he encamped at the mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I thy father-in-law Jethro, and come unto thee and thy wife and her two sons with her. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and did obeisance and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh, And to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians." Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly he was above them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering of, and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat bread and mo- with Moses' father-in-law before God. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning until the evening." And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another." And I do make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Now, by the way, that's why we believe here that this meeting happened after the law was given because what statutes and laws is he talking about? Well, the one that I think He would be given at Mount Sinai. Uh, he says in verse 17, And Moses' his father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away, both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able... To perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God, and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. And place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and uh, they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing... And God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. uh, The hard uh, causes they brought unto Moses But every small matter they judged themselves, and Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, to help us to benefit from the study of your word this evening, and uh, as we think about this uh, good counsel and advice, uh, might we also consider what your will is. And sometimes there might be a struggle between the two. And I pray that you would help us to uh, be able to rightly divide your word. Uh, We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to cover three points, and I'm going to try to move through those quickly. We're going to cover, first of all, the reunion, uh, then the report uh, that uh, Moses gave to his father-in-law Jethro and his response to that report about what God had done. And then we're going to look at the recommendation. But let's first of all consider in our text the, the reunion Uh, That happens. When we begin here and we open in the chapter, uh, the first word gives us an indication as to uh, what brought about this reunion. Uh, No doubt we can look back and we know based on, I believe it's uh, verse. Uh, in this text, uh, well, we'll look at, at it a little later, uh, when we find here this meeting between Jethro and Moses, they are already at the Mount of God. Now, uh, Je- ch- chapter 19 tells us that they will arrive at the Mount of God. And so this took place sometime uh, when they were the Mount of God, which is the direction that we've uh, seen them go uh, since they were delivered from Egyptian bondage. But the first word of our text says, when Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law heard all that God had done for Moses. And so he's going to make a decision to go meet Moses, to bring Zipporah and uh, Moses' two son to meet back with Moses. But we note it, we note it here, the time. Uh, the time is when Jethro heard. That's what the Bible says. Notice verse 2. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah. And so we have when, heard, and then. And so what is what is it that prompted Jethro to move about to go see uh, Moses to bring Zipporah and his sons? Well, I think that when they reached the mountain of God, you could say that's the time where they've been through all the struggles and now that they've been stationed there for a while. God has brought them to this place, and perhaps Jethro considers this the best time now to bring Zippor and the sons of Moses to Moses. And so the timing here, this is not Jethro saying, well, you know, uh, Moses uh, needs his wife and his his sons. That's not what prompted Uh, the Bible says that he heard what God had done for Moses. And so now that all the struggles have, they have gone through all those struggles to get there. By the way, we've seen the struggles, right? Egyptian bondage, the Red Sea, the waters of Mara, no food, the manna from heaven, uh, no water, water coming from the rock. And now we get here, uh, we're, when Jethro has this meaning, they're at the mountain of God, and it seems that all the struggles are past. And so now Jethro deems it a good time to bring them. And so uh, you see here, when, and he heard, and then he made a decision. Now, What was the decision based on? The decision was based on. uh, Really, verse one tells us uh, that God had delivered them. Notice uh, He heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, His people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And so we notice two things. First of all, we notice what was done, but we notice the source. Uh, of what was accomplished. What was done was what? Deliverance. And certainly that would be uh, worthy to speak of. Why? Because of people that had been in a foreign land for 400 years, and the last part of that, they were in bondage. This entire nation, uh, by uh, a miracle, uh, was delivered from that Egyptian bondage. And you heard about the crossing of the Red Sea, and now you're starting to hear how God has provided for them food every day, and water out of the rock. I mean, uh, the waters of Mar were turned from bitter to sweetness, and and so that that, that word starts to be plunged around. They they defeated uh, Amalek and his people. That's in chapter 17. And so great things have been done, and so great deliverance. The deliverance has been published, but then we have uh, the one to whom the deliverance belongs to, and that is God. Jethro himself says, we heard all that... God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, that's a good report because of what God told Moses in Genesis, in Exodus chapter 3, when he says, I have come down, I will deliver, and I will bring them. To a land flowing with milk and honey. God told Moses that's what he was going to do. And so Jethro here, what's the report? That's what God has done. So that's good. That's a good, good report uh, from. And so uh, this is what's going to prompt here uh, 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 Jethro from going to, to Moses. God has done wonderful things. Now he brings with him uh, verse 2, Zipporah and uh, the two sons in verse 3. Uh, we have the two sons are named. Now if you uh, if you hold your place here, let's go back quickly. Uh, we just have to reference. Uh, I didn't know that some some I didn't know they were apart. Where has Zipporah been? Where has have his sons been? Well, go back to chapter four of the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter four. And if you, if you notice with me in chapter four, uh, verse twenty four, um, the Bible says it. It came to pass by the way in the inn that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Now. God sought to kill Moses. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely, that's Moses' feet, a bloody husband art thou to me. So let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. And really, as we proceed here, that's the last we hear about this. Now, I personally believe, although the text doesn't mention here, uh, that they left and went back to Jethro. There is no other opportunity that we have to say, "Well, something happened that' send them back." He or she's upset visibly with Moses. I don't know if you've ever called your husband, uh, ladies. You're a bloody husband, but that would not be the best compliment uh, from a wife to a husband. And so uh, she, she, she's upset about the situation, and uh, I think that that's what prompted uh, uh, them from returning to Jethro. And um, our text indicates that it was Moses that had sent them out, that had sent them back. And so the marriage relationship had not been the best the last time we heard. At least Zipporah was pretty upset with Moses, and evidently uh, the sons, Gershom and Eliezer, were with Zipporah. So I believe that since then, now, after all this, now a lot has happened. Would we agree since then? I mean, he was on his journey to Egypt. Uh, that's when uh, we last saw them together. And we have the 10 plagues and the Passover and all the deliverance, all the things that God did. Uh, we identify the names of her two sons, and I already mentioned them earlier, but let me mention uh, the firstborn is Gershom. He says, For I have been an alien in a strange land. Uh, the name Gershom means stranger. And many of the uh, names in the Old Testament have a particular meaning, and, and so that's what Gershom means. Eliezer, he says, Thy God, my father, uh, was mine help. The name Eliezer says, God is my help. And so those two sons are now reunited with Moses, the poor is reunited with Moses, and, and so it's a wonderful reunion. The last time they were together, based on our knowledge of what the Bible says, it was uh, not a pleasant visit. But as we continue here, we, we read of, um, of verse 5, Jethro um, he uh, meets Moses, Moses goes out, and he uh, makes obeisance to him, and he kisses him in verse 8, and and then they're going to have this fellowship at the end of verse 7. The Bible says they uh, asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent, and so there's a meeting here between uh, son-in-law and father-in-law, and there's going to be a conversation now between them. And so we first uh, uh, see the reunion, but now we have the uh, period in this text of the report, and And uh, although Moses inquired about the welfare of Jethro, we don't read what Jethro said uh, in the report that he gave, but we read about Moses' report and Jethro's response to the report of Moses. And here is the the summary, if you notice with me, in verse 8. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. So here is the the summary. Now, verse 9, Jethro is going to respond to that, but notice what, uh, how do you summarize everything so far? Now, we would imagine that the last time he told Jethro was, I'm going to Egypt, God has called me to bring them out of Egyptian bondage and to, to, to bring them to this mount of God. And then eventually they're going we're going to enter into the promised land. And so that's last meaning. So this is a report of all. But here's a summary from Moses. And I think it's a pretty good summary. Uh, and I think I would say it's in uh, three, three stages. How do you summarize all that's happened? Well, the first thing that you would say is that the Lord, notice what the Lord has done to Pharaoh. What is he talking about? Notice, Moses told his father-in-law All that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. What is he talking about? He's talking about God's power. He mentions briefly, This is what God has done unto Pharaoh. Now, I'm not going to go through the ten plagues. I've already preached through every single one of them. But the land of Egypt has been completely destroyed. Not only is the beauty of the land destroyed... Not only is the wealth in the cattle and the herds completely gone, not only is their money gone, the silver and the gold member, the, the, the children of Israel, they borrowed gold and silver, but also their entire army has, was buried at the Red Sea, and so Egypt has been completely defeated. And so what do you attribute that to? You attribute that to the power of God. This is what God has done. Not once did the children of Israel fight. Now I made the point. Uh, in chapter 17, they fight Amalek and the people of Amalek. But they never fought to be delivered. They never raised a sword. They never, there was never a physical fight against. It was all of God. And, and so he declares, first of all, God's power, but then he talks. Well, how do you summarize then the rest? Well, he he says, um. And all the travail that had come upon them by the way. Now, what are we talking about? What's the travail? Well, I think the travail is since they left Egypt, they've been in travail. Uh, The word travail means distress and trouble. I think you could say here safely that when when God did what he did to Pharaoh, after that, in the way, in the way of deliverance, uh, they were going through travail. (laughs) The distress, distress was not done. They were not without trouble, right? At the Red Sea, the Egyptian army came against them. Remember, they feared. They said, Oh, would to God we had died in Egypt. They uh, are sarcastic to Moses. Were there no graves in Egypt that you brought out, out here to die? And God opens the Red Sea, and they pass through. That You could say that was travail. <laughs> it was distressful for them. Then there was no water, and they, they come uh, to the waters of Mar. They begin to drink, and they spit the water out because they can't consume the water. And God turned the waters into sweetness. What was that? What They were murmuring and complaining. Uh, what is that? That's travail. They were in distress. And, and when there was no food. They were murmuring and they were complaining and and then God provided food for them. Uh, What what was that time? It was a time of travail. It was distress and trouble. And then when there was no water, uh, the Bible says it goes to the next level, they were chiding with Moses. What is that? That's travail. Struggles, the the distress they experienced in the way. And so that's how he summarizes all of that. And then he he mentions at the end of verse 8, he says, and how the Lord delivered them. Now, I think that includes everything, right? So we saw in the first part what God did unto the Egyptians. That was God's power. And then in the way, God brought us through this travail. Now, He mentions all the travail that had come upon them by the way. So He mentions those things. And then finally, He says, but God delivered them. So that includes everything from the Egyptians and from all the travail in the way. That's what God has done. Uh, The word deliverance here is, is the the word means uh, really to to snatch away, to deliver, to preserve, to save, to rescue. That's what God has done. And so Moses delivers the report to Jethro. And and so Jethro responds to that, verse 9 and Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done uh, to Israel, whom had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And so now Jethro, after he rejoices, he's going to do three things that I think we ought to do as well, that the children of Israel ought to do. In verse 10, he's going to praise God. In verse 11, he's going to honor God. And then in verse 12, he's going to offer a sacrifice to God. And then in, in verse 13, he's going to fellowship with them. Now notice, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. God's name deserves to be blessed. Now uh, that that word blessing, we we might think so. Well, how can we bless God? We might think of so. If I, I pronounce a blessing on you, we might think, well, I want you to be uh, richer and and all those things, but. Uh, you know, there's nothing that we can say that makes God greater than He already is. But when we pray, when Jesus instructed His disciples to pray, and He says, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. That, that means uh, uh, declare God's name to be holy. Well, there's nothing that we can say or pray that's, that makes God any holier than He already is. So why would we pray, hallowed be thy name? Why would we say here, uh, let's bless the name of the Lord? Why? Because God needs to be hallowed in us. God needs to be blessed in us. You see, the trouble is not God is a constant. He is unchanging. He is always the greatest. He will forever be the greatest. The only one who is deserving of worship, of glory, and praise. Nobody else but who has trouble with that is us sometimes that we might recognize that in our own lives and bless His name, that we might do that, that we might recognize what God deserves. He deserves to be blessed in us, in us. Then, verse 11, he honors the Lord. Now, he says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. And I said, Jethro, you didn't already know that? Well, evidently, he didn't know that. Because now he says, I know that he's greater than all gods. Well, the, the Egyptians, I think we know based on what he just said, the Egyptians were, we would say in the world, they were the most popular gods. You say, well, why were they the most popular gods? Because Egypt, before the time of Moses, before the 10 plagues, was the greatest nation in all the world. Now, I believe personally that God used Joseph to bring that about. Because during the famine, uh, uh, during the famine, the worldwide famine, people from around the world went to Egypt and that's how Egypt occurred all its wealth and its power during the time of Joseph. And so it had uh, reached, all historians agree that before the time of Moses, Egypt had reached uh, its zenith. It was the greatest it had ever been. And it has not recovered since then, by the way. And so here... I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, He was above them. And he summarizes probably the problem with Pharaoh, right? Just Pharaoh refused to bend. In the first encounter with Moses, he says, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I obey His voice. Well, Jethro here, he says, Well, now I know the Lord. And God has dealt with them according to their pride. And so he places God, he honors God above all other gods. You see, part of the 10 plagues was not just God defeating the Egyptians. It, It was God making an open show of all the Egyptian gods that they were all false gods. So God is praised, he is honored, but then there's an, a sacrifice that's offered in verse 12. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrificed, sacrificed for God, and Aaron came and all the elders of Israel. And so he, he offers a sacrifice to God, that God is, is worthy of our gift. Now that's, that would be a practical gift, offering a sacrifice, and no doubt, apparently Jethro had come ready to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, to recognize, to make a sacrifice for the name of God. And then after that, in verse thir- uh, at the end of verse 12, they end in fellowship. And so they break bread, and uh, notice Aaron came, and all the elders of Israel to eat bread. Moses, so good way to end with fellowship. Amen. We, it's nice to end with fellowship around food. And just, uh, I would imagine that they would talk about the wonderful thing that God has done for them. At least that's been the conversation thus far. So we see the reunion, the report, but now we come to this uh, last section, which is the recommendation. Now, what I would like to do here is to deal with both. There is, as I mentioned earlier, um, everybody would agree that uh, this is good advice on the part of Jethro. That, uh, you know, it's good to delegate and it's good to, uh, the ideas there of delegation are good and no doubt, I don't, want to, I don't want to criticize what Jeff was saying because it's, I think we could all say by all appearances, it's good advice. And to some of those, we can attach some biblical principles to them. But then there are some negative things that I find in the text. And if you compare Scripture with Scripture and go to Numbers 10 and 11, and then even in Deuteronomy chapter 1, when Moses refers back to this instance, I think there are some negative things that we can identify. And so that's why I think when we look at this recommendation, we can say this is good advice, but it's just not God's will. Good advice, but not God's will. So I think that sometimes people come and say, well, this is good, and we should praise it. And I I am aware enough that as you read throughout the Scriptures, there are times when there's good advice that is given, but it is not necessarily the will of God. That there might be another principle... Uh, that is higher, more important than the good advice. Let me give you an example, and this is just one I can think of. Let me just give an example, maybe in the practical sense. Uh, somebody might say, "You hear this advice on on uh, online today. Uh, the way you get rich is by borrowing other people's money." How many of you have heard that? Right. Uh, that, that's a popular advice uh, out there. No, the Bible teaches that the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, somebody might come and say, "All right, no, uh, look here. Uh, here is your, if you have a mortgage, and the interest rate is four, or five percent now. I think it's five, six percent now. But if it's uh, that percentage, look, if you don't pay ahead, don't try to pay off the house as soon as you can, because if you invest that money, the re, the percentage of return is higher than the percentage you're paying on the house." So, don't try to pay your house off early. Try to invest all that money because, in the long run, you will gain more money. Now, let me say this the math is correct, but it doesn't follow a principle from God's word. Now, what's the principle from God's word? The borrower is slave to the lender. And what the Bible teaches is get out of debt as quickly as you can. That's the Bible teaching. Don't try to get in debt. And if you are, you are to do it very carefully and, 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 and be very aware that you're going to be a slave as long as you borrow that money. Okay, so people that give that advice, you might say, well, the math makes sense. That's good advice, not God's will. Might, will you, if you run out the math, could, might you be able to reach a, a, a better income? By the end of the road? Well, you might if you run the math, but is it God's will? And I would say it's not God's will. We operate by first principles that we know that God commands us and we seek to operate that way and I believe that's what is pleasing to God. And so sometimes there might be advice that we say, well, that's good advice, but we have to ask ourselves another question. Is that God's will then? Is it God's will? All right, so... I want to do two things here. I want to look at the positives of the advice because I do want to acknowledge the positives. But then I want to talk about the negatives of the advice that was given. Let's consider first the positives. Now, Jethro, as we read the text, he he gives basically his reasons. He he sets forth some reasons. Here's why uh, you ought to do this. Now, I do want to point out in verse 13, "...and it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people..." And the people stood by Moses from morning unto evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand before thee from morning unto even? Uh, Let me put it this way here. As as we stop, nobody asked for Jethro's opinion. Nobody asked for Jethro's opinion. As a matter of fact, somehow... Uh, as we think about, he is is acting as a judge between the people. And somehow, Jethro is there with Moses. And I think, well, he is not an Israelite. By the way, after he gives his advice, he's going to leave. In Numbers, you find that Moses says, hey, do you want to come with us? And he says, no, I'm going to go to my own land. After he said, God has blessed you, I just don't want any part of it. But here, he wants to give his two cents. Now, what he says here, I think uh, verse 18. Notice verse 18. Here's the, the one of the positive. He says, Thou wilt surely wear away, both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to for- perform it thyself alone. And so here's the advice that we say. That's a good advice from Jethro. Don't overwork yourself. Right? Th- that's what he says. He says, Thou wilt surely wear away. And there is an element that that is good advice. Don't work so hard that you're wearing away. You're going to wear yourself out. Uh, You're going to uh, have a burnout, Moses. Uh, However, what he says at the end is, he says, what, verse 18, thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. And let me just pause. It says that's what he had been doing. That's what he had been doing. But Jethro says, "You're not able to do it." So good advice. Don't overwork yourself. Okay, we might understand. You're going to wear away. Verse twenty. Notice another point of the good advice: says, "Thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shall show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do." And so, it, what does he say? He, he talks about appointing people in his stead, uh, and he says, "You're you're able to duplicate yourself." And so you can extend yourself, and so the things that you receive from God, you can communicate those to those others under you, and then they can communicate those then in turn to others, and so you're, you're multiplying yourself, and, and that's good advice, right? Don't, don't take it all of yourself. You, Moses, you can do more if you pass on your knowledge to others, who then in turn can pass it on to others. You, you can get more. And so multiplication, that, that's good advice. That's good advice. By uh, the way, uh, the more people go out and witness, the more people get witnessed to. Okay, that, good advice. Duplication. Not just one person doing all. Okay, good advice. Uh, notice verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place over uh, them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. Okay, well, that's good. He he says... Uh, Whoever you appoint, you have to have a, a, a commendable standard. Have a good standard for those men that they need to be... And the list he gives it is good. Uh, men of truth, uh, hating covetousness. Um, and you need to have that structure. And the structure is rollers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Now let me say, that's going to be a lot of rulers. If you run the math... It's astronomical, right? If you get, did, get down to the 10. Uh, if uh, Remember, 600,000 men that left, so we estimate at 1 million. If you take that, you're talking about uh, some almost half a million rulers. If you have rulers over 10s, all the way down to the 10s. Well, that's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot. So... But he says, here's the positive here's the commendable standard. Choose the the, the best men. Okay, that's good. And notice what he says, verse 23. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so. Now he puts that in there. Now that's interesting he puts that in there because he's not saying that this is from God. I'm telling you to do this, and if God commands you to do this, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So what is, he, what is he describing to Moses? He's describing to Moses success. A successful leadership. Moses, don't you want a successful leadership? You're, if you do what I tell you, you're going to be able to endure, and all the people are going to go to their place in peace. You're not going to have those long lines. Everybody's going to dealt with. And so, uh, Moses, set your eyes on success. If you multiply yourself and do all those things, you will be successful. And verse, um, you could go back to verse 21. As I mentioned, he gives a, sets forth a hierarchy in leadership. And that's good. And by the way, uh, we understand how that works in a church. Well, well there, is, there is leadership. And so uh, there's the pastor, but then there's people who, who do or are uh, overseeing different ministries and so forth. And so that's good. And we go down the line and so forth. And, and so th- that's a good thing. You have a hierarchy or a structure, and it helps. It helps. So those are the positive things. Now, there are probably other positive things there, but I want to consider now the the negative aspect and really emphasize here uh, good advice, but ask the question, is is it God's will? I want to establish, first of all, here's the negative point. The first thing is that it was not Jethro's place to counsel Moses. Do you remember what God established from the very beginning in Exodus chapter 3? I will speak unto thee, Moses, and I will tell thee what thou must do. From the very beginning. If Moses is to do anything, it is to be at the request of God. Now, by the way, there are many people throughout that we've seen who have questioned Moses' leadership thus far. Some of them have said, hey, we're going to appoint rulers over us who are going to lead us back to Egypt. They had plans to do that. But that was not God's will either. That's the same suggestion that they did. Remember when there was no water in the land? They said, we're going to appoint captains over us who are going to lead us back. They wanted some type of structure. They wanted somebody other than Moses. So what I'm saying here is this was not Jethro's place to counsel uh, Moses. It, It is God's place. He says, what is this thing that thou doest to the people? Well, he's doing exactly what God commanded him to do. Why, verse uh, uh, 14, Sitest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto evening. Because God didn't give us an alternative. Okay, so it was not Jethro's place to counsel Moses. And I, I really believe that. But the second thing we notice is that Jethro... Also, did not have the authority to command Moses. Notice what he says in verse 19. What does he say in verse 19? Hearken now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Well, shouldn't it be the reverse? Now, I believe that God would be pleased by this. No, no. Hearken to me, I'll give thee counsel. And then God's going to agree with me. That's what he says. God shall. Well, Jethro did not have the authority to command Moses. By the way, the pattern that we're going to find in the book of Exodus is every time somebody questions the authority of Moses, God is going to be very upset about it. As a matter of fact, after the crossing of the Red Sea, that's exactly what God did for Moses. You remember, the Bible says, the people feared God and Moses. Right before the Red Sea, they were doubting his leadership and his ability to lead. After the Red Sea, God did that, so what? They would fear Moses. That's what we've seen thus far. And so this is not, Jethro does not have authority over Moses. Now, there is a relationship, why? Because he's his father-in-law. Makes it a little harder (laughs) uh, when you're related, right? Uh, The man is married to your daughter, and so you feel like you have some say in what ought to be done. Now, I'm not saying it's bad advice. I'm just saying, is it God's will? We also know that this advice, what I believe here, this advice caused a problem that was not there. Now, if you hold your place here, now notice with me in verse 17 and 18 here in our text. Exodus 18, 17, 18. Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou will surely wear away both thou and this people uh, that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. I want you to think about those words. It's too heavy for you, Moses. You are not able to do it. I want us to think about that. Is Moses doing what God wants him to do? And all of a sudden, Jethro comes along and says, you can't do it, Moses. Well, wait a minute. Does God not know what He's doing? Is God being questioned? Uh, Turn with me, if you hold your place, turn with me to Numbers. Let's go to the book of Numbers. We have a reference back to this uh, in Numbers 11. Uh, Numbers 11 And uh, notice with me, if we go down to um, verse 13. Numbers 11, verse 13. Whence should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh, that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. Right from the mouth of Jethro. Now, if you notice, Jethro left in chapter 10. Moses never said, this is too heavy for me. I'm not able to do it until Jethro told him he couldn't do it. So the advice was good, uh, certainly. But notice here, there's a negative aspect here that the advice that Jethro gave caused a problem in the life of Moses that now Moses said, I can't do this. I'm not able. Well, who told him that? It was not God. It was Jethro. So and by the way, it was so it's only after Jethro had mentioned this that then Moses begins to complain. So here is see see how that I just want to see do you see how that is couched in good advice? You gotta be careful. Somebody may give good advice, but then they'll throw some things in there that are not God's will. Well, here, this would be better if you do it that way. Good advice, good advice, yeah. Because you see, God's brought you to this place and you're really not able to do it. I know God has worked all those things out and now you're here. And the truth is, God has given you a burden that you are not able to bear, Moses. God, ultimately, He doesn't know what He's doing, but Moses, I know what I'm doing, so follow my counsel. Now, I'm paraphrasing here. But that's exactly what he says underneath the lines. And then Moses says, You're right, Jethro, I can't do this. Well, he was doing fine. As a matter of fact, earlier when you find Moses doing that from morning to evening, he was not complaining. He didn't come to Jethro and say, Man, Jethro, I don't know what to do. I'm, uh, I have all this work from morning to evening, and I feel like I can't do it. I can't accomplish what I want to accomplish. Jethro, help me. Moses never got there. He never said that. He did, though, after Jethro gave him the advice and told him he was not able. There's another thing we find here, and that is Moses. Jethro tells Moses that Moses should not be expended, expended for the Lord. Notice verse 18 again. That will surely wear away both you and this people that is with thee, For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Moses, I think that as your father-in-law, I want to be a help to you. I just think that you're expending yourself too much for God. You're doing too much for God. You can't do it. You're going to wear away. You're right. I am doing too much for God. Remember what Jesus told His disciples in Matthew chapter 16? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What does that mean? You're going to have to bear some burdens if you're going to follow Jesus Christ if you're going to be obedient to the Lord, there's going to be some burdens along the way. And Jesus, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, we want to follow Jesus Christ without denying ourselves and without taking up our crosses. But that's not the way it works. That's not the way Jesus said it works. You're being expended for God. You remember what... uh, Peter told the Lord, I gave the example, when Jesus, right after that in Matthew 16, actually right before then, remember, it was Peter that says, uh, you're not going to go to Jerusalem, you're not going to be betrayed, you're not going to die. Uh, uh, it's not going to happen, Lord. And, and you remember what Jesus t- told Peter, he says, uh, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of men, but the things that be of God. And then after that, he says, if you're going to be my disciple and follow me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. Now, good advice from Peter. He wanted the Lord to live more. Wonderful. Came out of love. Not God's will. Not God's will. But there's one more thing we find, and that is this council did not solve the issue. Uh, Notice verse 24. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And somebody say, well, see, he gave the advice, and so there it is. And they judged the people at all seasons, uh, the hard causes they brought into Moses, but every small matter they judged uh, themselves. And so here... We say, all right, well, what's, what's the issue, Pastor? I don't understand. Well, if you hold your place here again, turn with me to Numbers 11. Uh, let, let's consider what it says in Numbers 11. Um, so in, in chapter 10, you see in verse 11 and 12, go back, notice, just so we got the background leading up to chapter 11. Uh, Numbers chapter 10, notice verse 11 and 12. And it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month, on the second year, that the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony And the children of Israel took their journey out of the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran. So they're going to move on from there. Um, They've been in the mountain. Notice then in chapter uh, 10, verse 30 and 31. And he said unto him, I will not go. Now, Moses again was talking to um, his father in law, verse 29. And he said unto him, I will not go, but I will depart to mine own land and to my kindred, verse 31. And he said, leave us not, I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest to be with us instead of eyes. And it shall be, if thou go with us, yea, it shall be, that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same will he do unto thee. Now, I believe here the father-in-law, he left, even he says, look, if you come with us, what God does to us, he will do to you, it's going to be wonderful. Okay, go to chapter 11 and notice verse 16 and 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with thee that thou bear it not thyself alone. So here's how God solved the issue. It's not going to be rules over thousands and hundreds and tens and so forth. I just need 70 elders, Moses. God intervenes. Moses sought to implement all those things. And then God intervened. He says, no, I only need 70. But I want you to notice more importantly what God does here. He brings these elders They're standing with Moses. And notice here, this is interesting. Verse 17, he says, I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee. Who's the thee here? Moses. There is a Spirit. The Spirit of God was upon Moses. God had equipped Moses to do everything that Moses needed to do. And God said, I'm going to take that Spirit, Moses, and I will put that Spirit upon them, that they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. You see what happened? God didn't say to Moses here, all right, I'll I'll give them the spirit that I gave you to be able to handle this. No, he says, Moses, you're going to stand there and line up all the 70 elders, and so I'm going to take... What is the spirit? The spirit of God is divine enablement to accomplish what God wants done. Moses, I'm going to take away some of the spirit that I've given you And I'm gonna divide it among the 70 elders of that spirit. So that they can help you to bear that. So let me just put it this way. Jethro, good advice? Yes, not God's will, clearly. Not God's will. God says, I don't need all those half a million rulers. I just need 70 elders. And Moses, because you've come to the place, and by the way, he said what he says in chapter 11 of Numbers, just because of what Jethro said, I can't do it. And God does it in front of Moses. I've given you the ability to do what I've called you to do. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the spirit that I've given you and I'm going to divide it between these 70 elders. And by the way, God often does that. He often does something that is not necessarily what he intended to be done. Remember when the children of Israel, later in 1 Samuel, they wanted a king? They wanted to be like all the other heathen nations? And Samuel says, this is not God's will. God doesn't want this to be done. God says, nevertheless, I'll give them a king. I'll give them exactly what they want. But then they're going to pay tribute and they're going to do this. And he talked about all the consequences that they would face because they wanted a king. Why? They wanted a man to fight for them. And God gave them a king. Moses here is going to receive some help. But I believe here from the scriptures we find that the advice he received, I think we would all agree if we think about how to run a business or anything, he said, wow, that was good advice. Yep, good advice. Not God's will. And God's going to intervene in the middle of this. He says, no, I'm not going to do all this that Jethro said. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to divide your spirit that I've given you and we're going to have 70 elders and, and they're going to help bear the load. But isn't it interesting that he only became aware that he could not bear the load when somebody told him? You know, we have to watch because sometimes some people can give us really good advice, but ultimately it's not God's will. They can, uh, even all the things that, oh man, you're just having such a hard time And then all of a sudden, we find our mindset changing. And all of a sudden, well, you know what? We we, we don't need to serve God in that way. And and pretty soon, you live off of good advice that is not God's will. Don't live on good advice that is not God's will. You know, if we go back to Exodus, and I'm done, Exodus 18, the Bible says Moses, immediately he implemented what Jethro said. He never prayed about it. All the struggles he went through thus far, every time there was a struggle, he prayed about it. Didn't pray about this one. It sounded like good advice. And sometimes when you have good advice, you don't pray. There, that might be a good indication. If you're living on the advice without seeking for God's will, you might be in danger of forfeiting the will of God because of good advice.